We're in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Be diligent. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. We honor God by standing when we read his word. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, this is our last teaching in Second Peter. And I want you to remember that Peter is in the Mamertine prison, and he's facing imminent death. And these are the very last words he says to his beloved brethren that we're going to go through today. The theme of Second Peter is beware and grow. Beware of the false teachers. Beware of the deception that is happening around you. And grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, last week we talked about the day of the Lord. And remember, the day of the Lord is a controversial time. It's not controversial in that Jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom. The controversy is the time frame. And I believe the time frame goes from the rapture of the church, through the tribulation period, through the millennial reign of Christ, all the way to the day of God. And the day of God is when eternity starts and everything is new, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, Jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom, a day when Jesus completely destroys the works of the devil. In 1 John 3, 8, we read this, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, this destruction of the devil's work started when Jesus came the first time and died on the cross for our sins. And we see in Colossians chapter 2, these words, verse 13. Now, I want you to remember that he, the starting of the destruction of Satan's work started with his first coming. It will culminate, it will be complete at his second coming when Satan is thrown into the, into the pit for a thousand years, released for a short time, and then finally dealt with just before the day of God and put in the, the lake of fire forever. But hear these words of the Apostle Paul. Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. That's what happens to us when we believe that Jesus died for our sins. He forgives us all of our trespasses, having wiped out all the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All this stuff happened at the cross. And this is where I want you to focus having disarmed principalities and powers. These are demonic realms that he has disarmed. And watch this. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Now, what did he do? He destroyed the devil's ability to, to kill. Not that we aren't going to go through a death process, but we can live forever in relationship with our Savior. That happened in Jesus' first coming. However, his second coming... The total destruction of Satan will come to full fruition when he is again thrown into the, into the pit. When God's wrath is poured out on an unbelieving world, 
In a Jesus-hating world, remember when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom, the church will have been taken out. Then the whole day of the Lord process really gets played out. And Jesus comes back to a people that don't want him and are resisting him and are fighting him, the Antichrist leading that whole thing. Now remember, the eternal abode of all who rebel against Jesus and reject the Son of God, rejects the offer of salvation, which comes over and over and over and over. I mean, how merciful is God? He comes to us and he comes to us and he says, believe, come, receive, come, believe, receive. But those who reject him, the demonic angels and humans, will be cast into the lake of fire. That is the eternal abode of the dead. And this is not popular teaching. You don't hear this in most places because it's uncomfortable. But it's the truth of the word of God. For those who reject Christ, it's not popular, but it's true. We know that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we know the heart of God. God is not gleeful that people are, are rejecting him. It is sad to him. It breaks his heart. Look at Last time we read it in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Salvation is available to all. And he comes to us over and over and over. Remember in Ezekiel 18, 23, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should perish? He says, turn and live. Turn and live. That's the heart of God for humanity. In order for someone to get to the lake of fire, you have to go through God's amazing, incredible, long-suffering and patience with us and say, no, 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 I will have my way, not your way, Lord. And it's tragic. It is tragic that people choose that path, but they will, and they do. So the key word that we learned last time was for waiting, for, for waiting believers. We're waiting for the coming of our Lord is watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. We do not know the hour. Remember, he's going to come as a thief in the night. First Thessalonians says this, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober, self-controlled. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Unexpected. And I believe that's the rapture of the church, an unexpected coming of our Lord. And he takes us out of here. A thief in the night. Stay awake, watch, be alert. Be alert. Now, because the day of the Lord is imminent, how are we to live? Well, last time when we talked about this, we are to live with holy conduct in verse 11 and godliness. Godliness. Now, how does that look? And we talked about how this looks. It's life in the Word. There's nobody that can lead a godly life without spending time daily, and I would say, submit to you, regularly, daily, in the Word of God. This is not an elective. This is something that is a requirement if you're going to live a godly life. Set up, and secondly, we're to live set apart unto God. That's the whole sanctification process. And we are to then obey what we hear in God's Word, what we learn in God's Word. And number four, we are to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5 or so, we, we see that do not be drunk on wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the word was palero, cramful, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. That's the victorious life. That is how you live, live a godly life. And finally, I think it is very important that we study prophecy and at least have an idea of the signs of the times. I've repeatedly emphasized this, that no one knows exactly how this will all play out. Now, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, or at least I believe, I don't know what you believe, but I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that Jesus Christ is going to come before the seven-year tribulation comes. 
very smart people, believe in a mid or a pre-wrath coming of Christ, and many of them believe in a single second coming, and there is no rapture of the church. I think we're right. I guess we'll find out one day. But if we have to live into the middle of the tribulation, at least you know it'll at least be pre-wrath. I don't think it'll go past that, okay? So holy conduct. I want to emphasize, this is not a time to live foolishly or compromise. Not today, because we see too many things that are happening that indicate this is the time. We are the generation. Now, again, no one knows the time or the hour, but at least we qualify. We've been through that a whole bunch of times. And remember this, the day of the Lord will be an awful, horrific time for the majority of those in rebellion against God on earth. It'll be the majority of humans on earth will be in rebellion against God. We don't want you, God, and we'll resist his coming. But it will be a wonderful time for the followers of Messiah. Once we get through the tribulation period, and I believe the day of the Lord extends into the Messianic kingdom, we'll be ruling and have positions of authority within the kingdom. That's great news. That's great news. In today's teaching, Peter's final words to his beloved brethren are this. Be diligent. Be diligent. Be all out for God. Be steadfast. No in-between. None of this gray area. All out for him. No reserves, no retreats, and have no regrets for a life well lived. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. It's the wonderful word of God. It is the truth in a culture that is running from the truth. May we base our lives upon the truth of this word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each heart today, that you would soften our hearts, that you clear our minds, that you teach us things that you want us to know. And once you have taught us, help us to apply those principles to our lives. May we be doers of the, of the word, not just hearers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So an introduction. This is our final study in Second Peter. And just to remind you, First Peter was talking about suffering in the Nero persecution. And all of those Christians that were put into the, what they called the Nero Circus, and all the torture and all the stuff that went on as they were entertainment for the Roman people, and how they were lit up on the roads, and what a tragic time that was. And then we learned, Peter was teaching us how to live through suffering, how to live through persecution. And he reminded us of a fourth, four attitudes that are important that when you're going through suffering or persecution. And again, this is a review but he says in, in chapter 1, verse 6 of 1 Peter, he says, Rejoice, not retaliate. Rejoice, not retaliate. Our focus must be on Jesus Christ. Whenever you're going through suffering or persecution, it has to be off of what's going on onto the Savior if you want to make it through. Secondly, submit, don't fight. That's chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. Remember, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then glorify God, number three, and not the pain. That's chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Again, God is the focus. And finally, the fourth thing is remain humble, not defensive. That's chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Now, in Second Peter, he transitions to the deception that's going on. And we are living in a time, an unprecedented time, I would suggest to you, of deception. Why? Because we have such technology and so many inputs that are coming at us 24-7. We are a very compromised culture as far as deception coming in. Technology can be good, and technology can be bad. We're living in a time where deception abounds, and false teachers are all over the place. Remember, the day of the Lord is coming. That is what Peter warns about in 
at the last part of 2 Peter. And his emphasis is on exposing the false teachers, exposing the perilous conditions. His final words that he's given to us, which are so important. When someone's getting ready to die, he's telling you the most important thing that he wants you to know. He's telling us how to live in light of the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night and culminating in the day of God. It will be an awful time. He tells us to look forward to it in verse 14. Isn't that something? Look forward to it. That's what he says. Not be in fear, not, not be in trepidation, but be in peace. Be diligent to found in him in peace. We need to actively work towards being calm and not fretting and not fearful and biting our fingernails down to the quick because, oh, look what's happening around us. No, he says, don't worry, don't live in fear, live in calmness. Don't lose sleep, don't wring your hands. Jesus Christ is coming. Everything is on schedule. Who is in charge? The Lord Jesus is in charge. Everything is playing out as planned, as planned. So do not be discouraged and do not be fearful. His kingdom will be established. Verse 14, we see these words, or this this emphasis, be diligent and have no reserves. When I say no reserves, remember in the military, you have the reserves that are in the back, no reserves, everything out front. You bring everything into the battle, every part of your being into the battle, hold nothing back. That's what he's talking about here. Be diligent, have no reserves. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. And he just talked about the day of the Lord and the wrath of God. But looking forward to these things, why? Because what's going to happen in the millennial reign, when Satan is finally dealt with and the kingdom is established, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Oh, that's that's how we are, are to conduct ourselves, without spot and blameless. That means we live in this culture separated unto God. No compromise, no retreat, no surrender, no compromise, no reserves, all out for God. So. The day of the Lord can be a scary topic, be a scary topic. Peter's encouragement is this, looking forward to these things. Why look forward to this? Because Satan's final defeat is imminent. There will be no more tempter stirring it up here. No more demonic realm inputting into our lives. And secondly, there's a new world coming. I can't express to you how important this is. Or there will be no tears. No pain, no suffering, no financial woes, no marital strife, no wars, no death. There is a new, this is real. This isn't, this isn't fantasy. This is real. There's a new world coming. Knowing what is coming, may we live a life of peace and not panic. Peace, we're looking at all the stuff going on around us. Oh, no. If these people get in office, oh, no, what's going to happen? Oh, no, what's happening in Israel? Oh, no, what's happening here? Oh, no, what's happening in Russia? Oh, no, what's happening? No, no panic. No panic. We live in peace, without spot and blameless, all out for Christ. Nothing held back. No reserves. Be diligent. That's his emphasis here. Looking forward to an eternity with God, our Creator. That's an amazing thing that we have to look forward to that unbelievers don't. Wouldn't it be awful if you had to go through life thinking, this is it? You have made it to the peak. 
It is so wonderful. You have made it to the peak of everything being right here. You know what I consider this? Mess. Mess. One big mess. Sometimes life goes pretty good, but most of the time it's messy. It's messy. In, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, if you would, you can turn there for just a second. And it just is going to give us a sneak peek of what this day of the Lord, this new existence is going to be like. And I think it's very encouraging. This is, this is John, the Apostle John. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And by the way, when you talk about the book of Revelation, it's not revelations. Okay? You want to show you're a biblical student by saying revelation. Singular. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. John is simply writing down what he's seeing. And he sees this, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No sickness in the kingdom and no sickness in eternity. And there shall be no more curse, no more sin and death. Oh, but the throne of God and of the Lamb, two thrones of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. You will see the face of God one day. Isn't it something? We can't come close to God in our depravity, in our sin. But one day when we are made new, and glorified in a state of perfection, that's what glorification is, we will see the face of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Intimacy. There shall be no night there. There shall be no lamp, nor light of the sun. Oh, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. And just keep saying ever and ever and ever, because that's what it is. It's for eternity. We will reign forever and ever. Knowing this, we can be found in peace. No fear, no worry, no anxiety, and we can live without spot and blameless. In verse 11, last time we saw, in holy conduct and godliness, all out, no reserves. Jesus is coming. Our time here is short. In 70 years, three score and ten. That's our normal lifespan that has been given us in the Word of God. And if by strength, maybe 80. And then you're gone. This is our time. We are to work while it is light, while it is day, for the time is coming when no man can work. This is our moment. This is our moment to be all out, no reserves. Now, William Borden lived a life, and this is where I got this, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. He was the heir to the Borden fortune. And no reserves is his means... Hold nothing back. William Borden held nothing back. He held nothing back. No retreats. That means no running away when it gets tough. No, no running away when the disappointments come. A never quit attitude. I will not quit. I will not quit. And finally, no regrets. No regrets. No matter what comes, live a life of no regrets. A life lived all out for Christ will be a life of no regrets. Guaranteed. Now, Paul, I don't know if William Borden got this from Paul, but I suggest he did. And Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. 
Listen to this. I have fought the good fight. Paul had no reserves. He held nothing back. He was all out for God. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. He was all out for God. No retreating. I have kept the faith. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul had no regrets. Shipwrecked. Beaten with rods. Beaten. Stoned. He was in prison a lot. He was sitting there waiting to get his head lopped off in 2 Timothy. And he says these words, I have no regrets in following my king. No regrets. No regrets. Now we're talking about William Borden more at the end of this talk. Verse 15 and 16. Be diligent. No retreats from the truth. Oh, your truth is always going to be challenged. And, and there's always compromisers out there. And the deception is, is huge in our culture today. No retreats from the truth. Verse 15 and 16. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Something similar to what Peter's writing. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture. So, first he starts out. We talk about be diligence, no retreat from the truth. Remember this, the long-suffering of our Lord. If, if it just indelibly implant that in your, in your mind. The long-suffering of God, the macrothumia of God, means he's not given to hasty anger, hasty punishment. He's patient with people. And guess what? Macrothumia is also a fruit of the Spirit that we can have when we are walking in concert with the Spirit of God. We can be different. God is patient with us. We owe him everything, never retreating from the truth. He died so we might have life to spread this gospel to everyone we come in contact with. We tell them the truth. We don't cover it up. We don't soft soap it. We tell people the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for them and their need for a Savior. The heart of God is long-suffering. Again, 2 Peter 3.9, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, macrothumia, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That is the heart of God. Now, Peter then brings Paul into the mix, and he says this about Paul, and I think you probably will agree with this. His teachings are weighty. Many feel Paul's teachings are hard to understand. Now, would you agree with that? Now, some of it's pretty straightforward, but some of it you're going, what in the world is he talking about? Hard to understand. Though some scripture is difficult to understand, we must not retreat from digging for the truth. Digging for the truth. That takes work, okay? That's toil. It takes work. Even though scripture may be hard to understand, giving rise to many interpretations. Right in this room, we have many interpretations of different parts of scripture that we're struggling through. We want the truth. There's only one interpretation, by the way. The Spirit of God is not confused. We're confused. We're trying to get the one thing that he's talking about. We must dig, study, and mine for the gold of the truth, looking for the true meaning of what is being said, not our particular prejudice. See, oftentimes we approach the Scripture with our prejudice. This is what I wanted to say. 
and we come out with a conclusion that could be very different than what is intended. God has an intended meaning for each portion of Scripture. Some parts are easy to understand, and again, other parts we go, what in the world are we talking about here? So, when you're digging for Scripture, when you're digging in the Word of God, remember this, this rule, context, context, context. Everything in context. Who, what, when, where, why. Those questions you ask yourself as you look at the Scriptures and want to know exactly what it's saying, what it's talking about. There's a principle here. A text apart from context is pretext. Okay? That means an excuse to say what you want it to say. Oh, no, we want it in context. We want, no, we want to know what God has to say, not how we're twisting things to our, to our belief system. We want to conform to him, not asking him to conform to us. Very important concept. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, he says very clearly, our job is to study, toil, and make straight the word of God. He says this, Paul is saying that his protege, Timothy, remind them of these things. And I believe he's talking about faithful men that he, in, in earlier in the chapter that are sharing the word of God. Charge them before God not to strive about words, to no profit, to the ruin of the, of the hearers. And then he says these words that are germane for everyone in this room. Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Dokimos, approved, genuine to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, cutting it straight, making it say what it says, not what we want it to say. That is so important. That is our job. And in verse 16 and through 18, Paul is going to expound on beware of scripture twisters. Now, you have experienced scripture twisters. If you've been in Christianity any length of time, you have been introduced to scripture twisting. They're all over the place. Paul dealt with them, Peter dealt with them, and you certainly have dealt with them. Let me, let me read this. But shun profane and idle babblings, empty chatter, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message, false teacher's message, will spread like cancer. Now watch what Paul does with the false teachers. Watch what he does. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort. He names names. Why? To protect the body from the false teachers. He didn't hold anything back. No reserves. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. That's what false teachers do. Overthrow the faith of some. Scripture twisters. I'm going to use some words here that maybe you're not familiar with. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Scripture twisters use eisegesis instead of exegesis. And I'm going to say, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Because eisegesis, the interpreter makes the Scripture say what he wants it to say. This happens all over the place, usually in topical teachings where someone is just bringing something out of left field to try to apply it to the text. That is not how you want to address Scripture. Now, you can do a topical teaching, but use appropriate Scripture as your evidence of what you're talking about. Most of the time, that's not done. 
Exegesis is the interpreter makes the scripture say what God has to say. Now, this is, a, this is an important concept. Eisegesis is the process of interpreting a text or portion of a text in such a way that that process introduces one's own presuppositions, one's own agenda, one's own bias into the text to make the text say what the person wants to say, where exegesis is quite different. We want to find out what God is saying and adjust our lives to what God is saying. That's, that's exegesis. Now, there's a couple examples. There's going to be a couple examples that come up on the screen. Okay, this guy here, is, he's studying his Bible, isn't he? And this guy's studying his Bible, too. This guy looks a little concerned. This guy looks like, oh, happy, happy, happy. Now, watch what's happening. God called the day light, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. What is he struggling with? Presuppositions about the age of the earth. Can't, a day can't be a regular day. Oh, really? Oh, really? Where in Scripture does God ever give man's dominion, give man dominion over God's word? Now, this guy is happy because he's letting the word say what the word says. The day is a regular day, yom. Yom is, one, is a day, and in particular when it says the first day, when it's connected to a first day, it's always a 24-hour day. But we're going about the context, the language and context of what is being said. So the next picture that goes up is something that happens all the time. Now, you'll know this guy. He's very happy. And this is the message. This is the message. Now, who doesn't want this message, okay? This is the message that comes at people 24-7 in that movement. This is the health and wealth movement, okay? You are worthy of God's love. God wants to make your life what you want it to be. Oh, really? Your happiness is the most important thing to God. Ministers should be saying what God says, not the other way around. That is eisegesis. That is an excellent example of people. And notice, you can fill stadiums with this information. Because people are drawn to what they want to hear. More on that in just a second. Eisegesis. Most people are looking for pastors to tell them what they want to hear. And people will go church hopping and pastor searching and church hopping and pastor searching until they find some dude in some wrong situation, some lady that's going to tell them what they want to hear. And people do this all over the place. This isn't a surprise because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, very common scripture. You're very familiar with this. Watch what he says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, who are the they? The they are the vast majority of people in the so-called church who will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Notice it comes from within the people. They're looking for this. And God gives them what they, what they actually want. It's part of, their, part of their punishment. Because they have itching ears, tickled ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and to be turned aside to fables, false viewpoints. People all over are looking to hear someone tell them that it's okay to live together. That it's okay for gay marriage. That it's okay for abortion on demand. That it's okay to have multiple ways to heaven. That it's okay to believe that there's no hell. That it's okay that other religions can get you there just so you're serious and concerned. That's our lies. Those are lies. Those are, but people will look for someone 
to tell them what they want to hear and think they're okay. You're not protected. You're not protected because you think something's right. You're protected when you are in the Word of God, digging into it and knowing what what the Scripture says, what God wants for us. That's where the protection is. It's not just getting with a bunch of people that believe the same thing that you believe that is errant. That is not any protection at all. Deception, deception, deception. It happens all around us. Scripture twisters, back to 2 Peter chapter 3.16, twist to their own destruction and those that have influence the destruction of others. In dealing with Scripture twisters, it is very, very, very important that we do this. No retreats. We don't cower in a corner. No retreats. We must protect the Word of God, the Word of truth. No retreats when the world is running counter to the truth. And everyone seems to be against you, and that's happening more and more as you are a born-again Christian. If you are truly in the faith, living this out more and more in your workplace, in your families, in your friends, they're going to be more and more against what you believe. Why can't you just get on board and get with the new things that are going on? And then no retreats from, from, from what the so-called church says and, and running from the truth. We must rightly divide the word of truth and live by the truth. Be diligent to oppose scripture twisters. No retreats from the truth. Everybody have that? No retreats from the truth. We're responsible. Each one of us are responsible. We will stand before God one day and give an account. How did we deal with this word? Did we retreat or did we have no reserves? Were we all out or we just tippy-toe in? Oh, I think I'll take a little of you, God, and a little of the world. That doesn't work. That's a ticket to your demise. Verse 17 and 18, be diligent to grow and have no regrets. Verse 17, you therefore, talking about a different group, not the the scripture twisted group, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. What a warning. Being led away with the error of the wicked, the false teachers. Oh, but watch this. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Have no regrets. Grow and have no regrets. Growing, hear this prevents straying and being deceived. Those growing will hear the shepherd's warning. What did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice. And the sheep, the true sheep, always want to be around the shepherd. Always want to be around the shepherd. And the warnings are this. Don't take the wrong path. Verse 17. Being led us away by the error of the wicked. Those growing, and I will submit to you, this is true, will not be led astray. Those growing in their grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior will have no regrets, no regrets that they spent time with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but we had this thing called the growth ladder in the beginning of Second Peter. And you saw this little guy, and he's He's kind of laughing and kind of silly as he's climbing the growth ladder. And I want you to notice something. He's laughing and he's not serious, and it's easy to slip and fall 
off this growth ladder. Let me read this to you. Peter says this, Add to your faith virtue. To virtue. Now, that's saving faith. So this is growth. That climbing that ladder is growth. That is what is expected. This is the normal Christian life. This isn't something extreme and, oh, you're crazy. Crazy Christian, you went overboard. Oh, no, this is the normal Christian. This is what is expected of each one of us to grow and out of our babydom and to become mature followers of Christ. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness the top agape love. And then he goes on to say these words. For if these things are yours and abound, this growth, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or useless, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, this growth process, is short-sighted even to blindness, cannot see, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. And in verse 10, he says these words, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, be even more eager, be even more all out, no reserves, no regrets, no retreats, to make your call and election sure. For if, conditional, if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be provided you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this picture is an amazing picture. Because remember, you will one day, in one-sixth billionth of a second, either be translated from here to heaven, that's the rapture, in a twinkling of an eye, it's one-sixth, somebody measured it, and I just read it and shared it with you, I didn't, certainly wasn't me. It's, it's fast, okay? Fast. It's a, it's a time it takes from light to get from the front of your eye to the back of your brain, and you can see. Boom, that fast. You'll be in the presence of God, in the presence of God. And I will suggest to you that you who have climbed the growth ladder, that you have started here, climbed up, and this takes work. You know, this is an ascent. It takes work. It takes being serious. It takes being in the Word. And I will submit to you, each one of us slip off the ladder. You know what you do when you slip off the ladder? You get back up on the ladder, and you start climbing again. Only this time, you turn your face upwards, and you say, no, I'm heading, I'm heading up. No more falls for me. No more Mr. Smart Guy here. Uh-uh. I'm ascending this ladder to agape, to love. And I think what happens to you, and this is a supposition. I have no proof for this. This is a rickism, so you can accept it or reject it. But I think this abundant... Uh, abundant entrance in the kingdom of God, and I've shared this when we did this part of the teaching, is that it's like the marathon. And you see that runner in the front of the marathon coming into the stadium, and the people start to applaud. An amazing entrance, I believe, is awaiting those who have grown in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. When you slip off the ladder, get up, and start climbing again, and never, ever quit. Have no regrets. You got finish strong.
Look, we can stumble on this journey. We can fall flat on our face. We can, we can fall backwards. We've all done it. We've all done it. Finish strong. Get back up and have no regrets. Cross that finish line. Get your chest out there. Break through the wire. Boom, I made it through. By the grace of our God, I made it through. Finally, in conclusion, Peter's final words. Be diligent. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. And again, that word diligent means endeavor, labor, study, no quit, keep going. Those who are diligent will have no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. They will have an attitude that I will finish this race well. Well done, good and faithful. So that's the goal. That's the goal. Now allow me to conclude with the life of William Board. And I want you to notice, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And I'd like you to just focus on this while I read to you his life. So hear this. An heir to the Borden Milk Company, William was born into affluence in Chicago, Illinois, on November 1st, 1887. In 1894, his mom became a Christian took him to the Chicago Avenue Church, which, be, which became Moody Church. And under the teaching of Dr. R.A. Torrey, she became a Christian, and he also became a Christian and was baptized. William then graduated from high school in 1906. His parents, being very affluent, gave him a graduation present, a trip around the world. A trip around 18 years old, a trip around the world. He had all the money that he wanted. He went by boat, train, he went on foot. He came home convinced that he wanted to be a missionary. All the things in the world that he saw, he wanted to be a missionary. His father saw this as youthful aspiration. He didn't, he wasn't, a, I don't think his father was a believer. And he didn't like that, that William was getting all religious. You ever hear that word? Oh, they're all, you're getting too religious. He thought this was youthful, youthful eagerness. And he, and he gave, him, gave him money to go to Yale to get a business degree. Athletic, handsome, and one of the most popular students at Yale, William started a morning prayer group as a freshman, as a freshman on the campus at Yale, which in the first year had 150 freshmen going to a Bible study prayer group. By the time he was a senior, there were 1,300 students at Yale, and 1,000 were involved in Bible study and prayer. You talk about an anointing. William's father then died, leaving him the fortune. Still, William remained resolute regarding his goal to become a missionary, knowing, knowing what a man like William could accomplish with his wealth. A family friend expressed that William would be throwing himself away as a missionary. In response, William wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. I will hold nothing back from my Savior. After Yale, he enrolled in Princeton Divinity School. After graduation, he had several lucrative opportunities in business. Still, his sights were set on the mission field and souls who had never heard the name of Jesus. Specifically, his calling was to the Muslims in northern China. In the back of his Bible, he wrote two more words, no retreat. And he set sail for Egypt to prepare for the mission. Soon after arriving in Egypt, William contracted spinal meningitis and died within a month at the age of 25. 
all out for Christ. And what you're thinking is what this next sentence says. His death caused quite a stir back in the, in the United States. People struggled to understand it, as they would. Across the country, newspapers ran the story with the headlines, William Borden, heir apparent to the Borden dairy industry, dies in Egypt. What a waste. Shortly before his death, William wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No regrets. No regrets. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. Was it a waste? Perhaps God is using William's testimony to speak to you right now, as he has done with so many others before you. What is done in obedience to Christ is never, ever, ever a waste. William Borden has a grave marker in Cairo, Egypt, where he was buried. In Cairo, Egypt, at the end of a garbage-lined alley, in a poorly kept graveyard, there's a gravestone with this inscription. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Some little grave in some back alley with the word of God from a man that served God. Peter tells us this, never quit. Beloved, be diligent. Labor, study, don't quit. Keep going. May William Borden's story be an encouragement to you. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. All out for the Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And as always, Holy Spirit, you're the one that takes the word and makes it meaningful to each one of us. I know that you speak to each one of us differently. I don't know where we are in this, which person is, but I would encourage each person in this room, have no reserves, hold nothing back, no retreats, no regrets. Father, today, if someone does not know you as their Savior, and they can enter into this process of growing and being saved and growing and have no reserves, no retreats, no regrets, I pray today will be the day that they say yes to you. Nothing else matters. Nothing else in this world matters. Everything is secondary to us coming to know you. You've made us for relationship with you and then to live out this life. And, and you promised us an abundant life, Lord, once we came into your family. You've promised to give us life and give it abundantly. Lord, help us. I pray that someone here doesn't know yours or save that today is the day they say yes. I believe in you, Jesus. I put my trust in you, and I receive the gift of salvation that you offer. For anybody that has not done that before, if you do that, you could do it right in your seat. I believe that you died for me, and I receive you as my Savior. You are my Lord, and I will serve you with no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Holy Spirit, please do your work in each one of us now. In Jesus' name. Amen.